Nehemiah chapter 5. We've been looking at, again, the amazing life and ministry, the call upon this man's life, Nehemiah, uh, going back and rebuilding the wall, leading that, that effort to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem after, after the, the period of captivity. Again, the, the city and everything destroyed many years before where we are now. A few waves of people have come back already as we looked at in the book of Ezra and leading to this point here where, where they came back. The temple's been rebuilt. A lot of the homes have been rebuilt, but the wall had been left totally in shambles. And so when Nehemiah gets there, the Lord calls him clearly to do this work. We looked at that, that he prayed for, for four months and fasted for that. And then the king, Artaxerxes, had actually sent him with, the, with the, not only the permission, but with, with all of the materials and everything needed to get the wall built. And last time we looked at, and we've been t- discussing this many times as we go through this, this, this work of God. God is clearly doing something in his people, the children of Israel, and restoring them and, and setting them back on this course and, and following after them. And when we've talked of this as, as the children of God now, as Christians, the Lord calls us to a work and we follow in obedience. We can, we can expect two things. First of all, as we've talked about, we can expect the hand of God on us to provide for us, to protect us, providentially leading and guiding us along the way. But we can also expect the hand of the enemy against us. And we saw that very clearly last time. As progress is being made, we looked at that in chapter 3. All the work is being done and things are moving and everybody is lending a hand and working through this. Well, the enemy comes. And we talked about that, the relentlessly coming after, ridiculing the work and discouraging and all of those types of things. We're going to see tonight things change a little bit when we get into chapter 5 because last time we looked at the fact that when the people of God are united in the work of God, the enemy turns up the heat. But we're going to see tonight in the opening verses of chapter 5 that when the people of God are divided during the work of the, when they're doing the work of the Lord, the enemy picks up a latte. He just kind of kicks back. Why in the world would he have to get involved and do all this kind of stuff when, when the work, we're going to see as it, there's a little time that takes place in here where the work stops because of fighting and different things going on within the, within the children of Israel. Last time, remember, that when, you, when we're united in the work, though there might be discouragement, though there might be things that come against, the work continues on and it even, even encouraging one another in that. And we see in chapter 5 that the construction of the wall is never mentioned. Last time, remember, even in the heat of it, we saw that the wall got built up to half its height. Now, don't worry, and spoiler alert, by the time we get to chapter 6 tonight, the wall will get completed. And again, it totally took 52 days. But we see in the midst of this that, it's, that what, what brought it to a stop wasn't, wasn't the, the outward hand of the enemy coming against from the outside. It was actually on the inside. Well, chapter 5, we see there, now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of the famine. And also there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh, verse 5, is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters are forced into bondage already and we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. We see in the, the first four verses, it's outlined for us here, the very real struggles that are going on with some of the people that are there. That, that, that they're, they're struggling just to make ends meet. 
They, they don't even know how they're gonna get enough money for food. Some of them, it tells us that they've mortgaged everything that they have because they didn't have the money available to them, so they mortgage their things. Some of them borrow money even just to pay their taxes, the, the king's field. Artaxerxes, the king, heavily taxed in the area. Most of those taxes went to build his palaces and all of that kind of stuff that were, was going on. Heavy taxes, these burdens. But in verse five, we see that there were many Jewish brothers and sisters with, with these that are struggling that said, okay, well, we'll help you out, but we're gonna charge you interest on all of that. We'll help you out, and if you can't pay it, I'll tell you what, your, 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 kid, your children can come and be our slaves, taking advantage of the situation. And we're gonna see as we move forward with this, there's several things that we, we draw from this, but first of all, I think it's important that we take a look at, you know, what, what is going, what, what's really going wrong here is that it's against what God commanded, how they were to act as brothers and sisters, as the Jewish people. Going all the way back to Leviticus chapter 25, the Lord spoke this. He said this to them through, through Moses. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God. That's going to be important as we continue on in, in Nehemiah tonight. But revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So with regards to those one another that are in need, the Lord said, when they, when they have this, when you see a need, meet that need. If, you, if you're going to lend to someone, lend them some money, don't charge them interest. Give that to them. Don't, you know, it, it's okay to expect payment back from time to time, but don't, ex, don't expect interest in that, even to the point where it, it says, nor your food for gain. Give them, give them what it is that you have. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, it says, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Lent, given, given something to someone in need, the Bible says that we're actually giving to the Lord when we do that. Now, I, I'm kind of getting off where I, I want to go with this too in, in addition to that, but I think it's important that we understand this because how much of what we have, what, what we earn from our paycheck, what we have from investments and the different things, how much of that belongs to the Lord? How much of that is the Lord? All of it. Good. I was expecting at least half of you to say 10%. No, all of it belongs to the Lord. Do you realize that that he has entrusted us with, with our paychecks, with everything that we have? We are to be stewards of that. It's on loan to us from him, all of it. Not just just our, our finances, but our time. Every minute that you have is a gift from the Lord. All of the talents that you have, the abilities that you have, those are given to you by the Lord. And, and your treasure and, and people talk the time, talent, and treasure, it all belongs to the Lord. He's entrusted it to us, and he allows us to do with it what we desire, what we want. But, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. We're, we're just going through this as the elders yesterday, kind of talking about we're into the budget process for next year. And one of the things we were talking about was our, our mission support for next year. We're going through the individual missionaries. And one of the things that we were talking about that is so amazing is the personal connection we have with the majority of the missionaries that we support here. And that's such a, such a wonderful thing. But I look at this way. I know the rest of the elders do, and I hope that you do too. What a privilege it is to be involved in their ministry. We so often get, you know, when they'll say, hey, thank you for your support and that type of thing. My response is, thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. I mean, I just look at it, that as such, a, such a, an amazing gift that God has allowed us to be a part of these different mission, this different mission works. And the same is true, though, when we take it down to the individual personal level. I hope, I hope you see that. When God gives you an opportunity, 
to come alongside and bless somebody. Understand that the Bible says that that was on God's to-do list for you to do since before he created the world. He, these, these, these things that he has given to us, it tells us we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So this, this appointment that God might give you and lay on your heart and, and give you an opportunity for you to be able to pour into and give into somebody's life, God prepared you, God equipped you, God gave that to you to give to them. And this is just something, again, if you've been around for a while, you know I've, heard, I've given this example before, but it all bears repeating, or this illustration, understanding of it, that that was never meant for you. If, if God gives you an opportunity, let's just say to bless somebody with, with $100 that, that is in need, that $100 was never meant for you. That $100 always was meant for them. God just allowed you to be the broker in the transaction. You're a blessing broker. And the awesome thing about it is the commissions are unbelievable in it. And, and, that, and when, we, when we understand that and we embrace that, it is such a joy to be looking around and saying, okay, God, where, where next? Where next? I, the, the church shouldn't be where you go. The church should be who you are. So many times we have people that will come in and say, you know what, we've heard of this need, so we thought we'd bring it to the church. Said, well, it sounds like the need's already been brought to the church. So take care of it. Because <laughs> you're the church. And yes, don't misunderstand me. We have a, a wonderful benevolence ministry here, and we do help out with a lot of different things. But, but pray about that, because that, that, that we, that's what we're, we're to do. We're to come alongside one another. We're to meet one another's needs, bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what about those that are just out to, to take advantage of others, to the, those, con, those con artists, those whatever? You know what? Leave that between, between them and the Lord. The Lord is laying that on your heart. If you're feeling led to do that, you do that. If they're, if they're conning you, that's between you and the Lord. You still get the commission. That's the cool part. And they'll deal with it. God will deal with them. So anyway, all right. Little rabbit trail I went on there. But because that's what's specifically going on here. And we're going to see that that brought a halt temporarily to the work while Nehemiah deals with it. But it's important before we move on from this because to understand that building the wall didn't create this problem. It revealed it. This, this was a problem that was going on long before Nehemiah got to town. Mortgaging, their, you know, the famine, all that kind of stuff. Building the wall didn't create it. It just revealed the problem. It just came out in this situation, when they're now working together and all this other kind of stuff, it manifests itself in a great way there. And when it comes to the work of God, as, as it is going, as, as, as we're moving and God takes in a new direction, we see it oftentimes, you know, in the, in, in, within the church body too, when, when growth starts happening or God takes us in a new direction. That isn't what causes issues between brothers and sisters, but I'll tell you, it oftentimes brings it out. It oftentimes will reveal it, and not necessarily something around this with financial things or or whatever. But but it could be you know it could be pride issues. It could be you know again jealousy. I've seen those types of things come up. You know, well, why is that person involved? Why is that person doing this? I should be doing that. That's you know those types of things. Selfish ambitions. Church growth doesn't cause those things, but it sure reveals it. Going in a new direction, a new ministry, a new uh, chasing after something else doesn't cause those things, but it can reveal those things in hearts. And I'll tell you what, nothing slows down ministry and even sometimes has to bring it to a stop than internal things like that. And we see what happens next. It tells us Nehemiah again is writing this. And it says, when he heard all of this, they're busy working, remember. The wall's half its height. Things are rocking. Things are rolling. All of a sudden, this gets brought to his attention. And it says, then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and, said to, and then said to them, and we'll get into what he said in a moment, but when he heard it, he was upset. It says he was very angry. Now, does, does anybody deal with anger? Okay, 
six of us. The rest of us deal with honesty. Um, just kidding. I was very angry, it says. It's, it's important to understand that, that there is such a thing as righteous anger. That it, it's not a sin to be angry. It, it tells us in James chapter 1, James writing, he says, This you know, beginning in verse 19, this you know, my brethren, speaking to Christians, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to, okay, maybe we don't know. Okay. (laughs) Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. the, The anger of man. We cannot achieve the righteousness of God when we are angry in our flesh. It it says to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And it tells us, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to one another with your neighbor, for we are members with one another. Again, talking about the unity. Verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. We already talked about that. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such is a word given that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Goes on to say, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So he says, in your anger, it's a, be angry, that's not a command, by the way. Be angry and do not sin when you are, when you do get to that point. And here's, here's one of the, the telltale signs of if it's righteous anger or anger of, of man. If it is at all self-centered, if it is all self-focused, if you're angry at all because of something that happened to you, that's your flesh. Jesus was angry. We saw that. He didn't, he didn't overturn the tables in, of the money changers with a smile on his face. He was angry. He was upset. But it wasn't because of what they said to him or about him. It was because of what he saw they were doing to others. We see that here in Nehemiah, and we'll see later on when we get to chapter 6, things that come directly against him, never responding in anger. What angered him was when he saw other people being taken advantage of. So that's one of the the signs of that. And then uh, another sign of, of anger that is not righteous anger is your inability to control it. We see here, notice, it says, I consulted with myself. I like that. I like to consult with myself, but... What that means is he basically, he took a breath. He took, he took pause. He didn't respond right away. He, he checked it. He went over it. He, he, no doubt, knowing what we know about him, he prayed about it. So he was angry. It, it, it stirred within him this, this, this anger because this shouldn't be this way. We're supposed to be dealing with each other differently than this. So it, it bothered him. It angered him. So he, he consulted with himself, no doubt prayed. And then it said, I contended with the nobles. He brings it right to them. And notice what it tells us he said. He said in the rules and said to them, you are exacting usury each from his brother. There, you're going to see brothers is used four times. Each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. Brings this big assembly together. The work stops because we got to deal with this issue. I said to them, we, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, would you even sell your brothers so that that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. What he's saying there is when we got here, there were some of our Jewish brothers and sisters who were sold into bondage, sold into slavery because of, of this same issue to foreigners, and we purchased them back. We bought them back out of that so that they could be free. And here you are placing them under bondage yourself. And they, 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 didn't, have a word, they didn't have a defense for that. They were, they were no doubt convicted. And it says, verse, uh, verse 9, again I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. 
should you not walk in the fear of our God because the reproach of the nation our the nation of the nations our enemies and bottom line that is that's the bottom line with all of it not just dealing with this lending and, and usury thing but when we come when we're dealing with one another if we fear the Lord as we should we're going to deal with one another as the Lord tells us to the Bible said that the world is going to know that you belong to me if you have love for one another. Love for one another. Not if we treat each other like the rest of the world treats them, themselves. We're no different than they are then. We, we look just like them. But when we love one another, when we are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, when we're quick to forgive, when we, when we look out for one another, when we take care of each other, the world is going to see that because if we don't, no, the world is watching. If you are professing a, as a believer of the Lord Jesus and, and your neighbors know it, your coworkers know it, they are watching you. And can you, I tell you two things they, they're going to do. One of, the, one of them is they're looking for you to slip up and they say, ah, see, your Christians are just like everybody else. They're going to be quick to point that out. But secondly, though, when they get the news that their, their child has cancer or, you know, some devastating news that's going on at home or whatever, they're going to come to you and say, would you pray for me? Would you, would, would, would you take this? Would you put this on your prayer chain at church? Would you, you know, and the damage that we do to that witness when we act like the world when we take advantage of the situation, when we don't love each other as we're supposed to. But guys, when we walk in the fear of God, his word and, and, and everything else, we, that, that we have a great witness for the world. Just a, a quote I came across today, Oswald Chambers says, when we fear God, we fear nothing else. But when we don't fear God, we fear everything else. And it's the fear of God, that, that, is that healthy, reverential fear of God and his word and, we, and living that out. So he calls them out on that. And likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, are lending uh, them money and gain. Please let us leave off this usury. He's saying, guys, it's got to stop. Please notice verse 11, give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also the hundredth part of the money of that, of, and of the grain and of the new wine and the oil that you have been exacting from them. Give it all back. Not only stop doing it, but go make it right. Go make it right. And Jesus tells us that again when it comes to all of the other issues that we're, we're talking about, those, those other things, the things that come between us as brothers and sisters that can so negatively impact the, word of, the work of God. Jesus said, when, you, when you're at the altar, when you're before the Lord, when you're praying, when, you, when, you, when you're at the altar and there it's brought to remembrance that your brother has something against you, not that you have something against your brother. I think that's interesting. It says, when you, there, brings to, brought to your remembrance that your brother has something against you. There's, some, there's a conflict. He says, go make it right. Go make it right. Then come back and give your offering. Now, I know that the, the, almost every time when I'm counseling somebody or we're discussing that with someone, you know, and it, it comes out, they say, well, I'm trying to, or they won't, they won't, or whatever. Do they have a responsibility? Absolutely. Paul tells us, as much as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. It is impossible to be at peace with everybody because there's two sides to it. But as Christian, the Bible says, as much as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. And we're going to see some of the sacrifice that that involves here in just a moment when we get to Nehemiah's example in all of this. But that's what he's saying that, first of all, stop it, knock it off, don't do it anymore, but go make it right. Go restore what is theirs to them. And then they said, verse 12, we will. We will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. And they, he was only telling them to do exactly what God says. So I called the priests and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also shook off the front of my garment and said, 
Thus may God shake out every man from this house and from his possession who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus, they may be shaken out and emptied. So he's saying, you guys are, it's all lip service right now. You're making an oath. May God shake you completely out if you don't follow, follow through with what you're saying. And all the assembly said, amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. So Nehemiah now, in the last few verses of chapter five, speaks of what it was that he had been doing. And I think that this is so important, again, because if we're gonna be sharing this with others, as we should, it's important that we're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And Nehemiah lived it out. It says, moreover, verse 14, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 12th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people but I did not do so, notice, because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. He wasn't just hanging out in his air-conditioned office. We did not buy any land, and all of my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, verse 17, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, also birds prepared for me, and once in 10 days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on this people. What he's saying there is as the governor, as the one who is sent by the king to rule in that, he was given a certain allowance that was to be paid for by the taxes of the people. He was supposed to take a certain percentage of that taxes for himself as payment. That was fully his right to do that. But when he looked out and he saw the people suffering and dealing with all of that, he said, I never collected it. I never took it. And on top of that, look at, I, I, I have this underlined, highlighted, at my table, 150 people. I, I fed 150 people in addition to whoever might have been coming into town that day. Paul, or I'm sorry, Nehemiah was living out what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two. When it says, when he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Later on, he says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Nehemiah was a light in the world. He, he lived those verses out, putting others' needs above his own. He had every right to take that tack. As a matter of fact, it says that everybody before him did, and that would include a lot of the godly men that we looked at when we were going through Ezra prior. But Nehemiah said when he looked at the situation and he surveyed that, he put others' needs above his own. He looked at the situation and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm no different th than they are. I'm here. God has allowed me to work alongside them. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to shoulder. I'm going to take this up. And through that, his light, shown greater and brighter across to, to all of them, to the, to the Gentiles as well, no doubt. 
D.L. Moody said this, a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. He didn't need, you know, he records this for us. This was written long after the fact. He didn't write this all down and say, hey guys, look at this. <laughs> no, God had him write this down for us. Like I said, this is at the end. He said, from the 12th year to the 32nd year, this is after the fact, he's recording this. And he was a light by his example during that, during that time. And notice too, verse 19 is, is very important because he was not doing this again so that others would recognize him. He was doing this so that one would notice, and that's the Lord. Remember me, oh my God, for, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He was only out to please one, the Lord, the one who sent him, the one who called him, the one who equipped him, the one who put him in, that, in this position. That's the only one he cared about pleasing, only concerned with what the Lord thought. Well, so chapter five, they get through that. The work continues. And we see now as the beginning of chapter six, the wall is done. Just the gates haven't been finished yet. The enemy is going to now, again, we saw the enemy's attack in, in, in chapter four. We're gonna see the enemy come back now in chapter six. We saw the enemy when he attacked the people, when he atta attacked the, the, the masses, that they, they banded together. Now we're gonna see they're gonna, he, the enemy's gonna come directly after the leader. They're gonna come directly after Nehemiah. Chapter six, verse one, now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Gershom, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set the doors in the gate, then Sanballat and Gershom sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at, Cher at, uh, at Chepharim in the plain of Ono, but they were planning to harm me. They, at this point now, they're, they're saying, hey, they, the, all of this other stuff, the discouragement, everything else they were trying along the way didn't work. The wall is now done. They're going to switch up tactics a little bit. And they're going to say, hey, come on out. Let's, let's meet halfway. Let's, let's get together. Let's talk about things. Let's, let's, let's see what we, can, what we can talk through. And notice his discernment right away. He, he, see, he, he knew right away that they were planning to harm him. He didn't see that. But... The enemy, and here we see it again, and we've talked about this so many times, the enemy will try to get us to compromise anywhere he can. Hey, let, let, let's, let's cooperate together. Let, let's, let's meet halfway. Let's, we could probably get a whole lot more done if we were working together on this whole thing. Remember, they tried that back in chapter two, and Nehemiah said, you have nothing to do with this. You have nothing to do with us. We have nothing in common. We're, we're not gonna, we're, we are, there's no way that we're gonna do this. It says we have, we, you will have no part in the work that is being done. They bring the same thing right now. Hey, let's meet halfway. All, all the enemy wants, guys, is just one little opening. Just one little crack. Just one little concession. Just one little compromise. No matter how small it is, and they're just, they, they just say, hey, let's just meet. Let's just talk. Notice his response, verse three. So I sent messengers to them. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? Understands that he's got a great work. God has called him to a great work and it's getting done. And he's not gonna take time to compromise with the enemy, even if it's just to, to go and meet. But notice the enemy doesn't just give up. Verse four, they sent messages to me Four times, four times kept coming back. And guys, the enemy is gonna continually try to do that. You're again, taking out, you're doing a great work for the Lord, especially as you start making great progress and things are moving towards that direction. The enemy will continually come, continually come, continually come just to get a compromise. Hey, let's just meet, let's meet halfway. You don't need to come all the way over here. It'll be a lot easier if we would work together, make a little compromise, do this little thing here four times. But notice I answered them in the same way. If the... The enemy wants to have you meet halfway in the plain of oh no, just remember the answer, oh no. <laughs> and every time, always the same answer, no. Is the enemy is gonna come and the enemy is determined. 
but we need to be just as determined to stay focused on the, on the work of the Lord. Verse five, then Sanballat said his servants to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says, that you, are the Jew, you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king, according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now let it be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. You're not going to meet with me on, on friendly terms. We're going to get nasty. We're going to start stirring up gossip, slander, rumors. I mean, notice again here, it has been reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you're planning to rebel. You're doing this whole thing so that you'll be recognized as king. None of that was true. It was all made up. He's there. Remember, the king's the one who sent him. And he's, he's, he's working, and his, his, entire, his entire heart, his entire thing is focused on that. This, this thing that is coming here, it is entirely meant, again, to get his focus off of it, to, to strike fear in him. What if, this, gets, what if this, this word gets out? What if it really does get all the way around? What if it gets all the way back to the king? Oh, oh no, I better go meet with them. An open letter, interesting. That most letters were sent, especially if it's on official business. It was written and then it was sealed. You know, you've probably heard of that, a letter being sealed. And then when that seal is broken, it can only be broken by who the letter is addressed to. Well, this is an open letter. And an open letter was read openly all the way back to where it was delivered. So it's written here in Jerusalem all the way back until it gets to the king. It would stop and be read openly in every town and village along the way. Kind of a modern day Facebook. The open letter that is just out there for everybody to see. And obviously since Gashmu said it, it must be true. I mean, if it's on Facebook, it has to be true. I will, I got to tell you, I hate Facebook. I have a Facebook account for one reason, and that's to check on our church's Facebook account. The reason I do is because I've seen the damage it does. I think I know that there's a lot of good things that can be done with it. I know that, you know, that, and, and probably most of you already have a, have a Facebook page, and so don't try to sell me on the benefits of it. It's cool. Okay, great. But I've seen the damage. I've seen the slander. I have seen people's, the attempt to have people's reputation completely destroyed with outright lies. And somebody hears something and they don't bother checking to see if it's true or, or following up again. Well, I read it on Facebook. It's got to be true. I heard it in an open letter as it was read out loud in town. It must be true. Nehemiah is trying to be the king. It wasn't true. I think, I don't, I don't think I know. That's why God hates gossip so much because of the damage that it does. And I just encourage you, because it's amazing to me, the things that I hear at times. And I appreciate it when people actually do come to me and say, you know, I heard this. Is it true? And I'm like, absolutely not. Where did you hear that? Well, it's been going around, you know. Nobody else has come to bother to check it. (laughs) When you hear something, you know, Gossip, when you hear things like that, it, con- consider the source. You know, unless it's your person where you get your gossip from most of the time. <sighs> consider the information that's being said. Consider what God's word says about it. Consider the, the target of the gossip. 
go and check it out. The best thing that you could do when you hear something of, and you have, is to say, you know what? Let's go to that person right now. Let, let's go right now and confirm that. Let's go right to that, that point, that person, and, and clarify. Because that, this entire thing was meant to obviously destroy the work of, of what was taking place. And I so appreciate, I so appreciate this. Um, it says, his response was, then I sent a message to him. To who? To Sanballat. I sent a message to Sanballat and said, such things as you are saying have, have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them are trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work that has been done, and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. I love his response. Send a message back to where you got it, saying, that's not true. You're making all of that up, and you know it. God, strengthen my hands. I'm going back to work. He didn't chase it all down, because you can't. An open letter, you can't. You can't go running down. You can't go trying to find every Facebook post and repost and like and forward and all of that kind of stuff, trying to, trying to it's a mess. Need to send it back, not true. Pray, God, do you deal with this? And I got to get back to work. I don't know if anybody's been through that. Don't need to ask for a show of hands. I have been. There's been, it happens a few times in the past few years. And it's been amazing to me. And I don't, bottom line is, I don't have time to go trying to run down, run down all of this and try to chase down all of that and everything like that. Bottom line, the fire's gonna go as far as it's gonna go. God, you're in control of it. I got work to do. And so we get back to that. I was in, I was down in, in uh, Houston, as many of you know, uh, several weeks ago and saw it happening firsthand there um, in one of the relief efforts that was going on down there, one of the, the um, food pantry, actually, that they had distributing the food. Um, there was a lady that was volunteering there and didn't, didn't attend the church. She was just volunteering. And one of the volunteers from the church asked the simple question, are you a Christian? And she became so offended by the question that it ended up causing this huge, huge problem. And bottom line, she was, she was Jewish, and so she took offense that, that you would ask a Jew if they're a Christian, and she was a lesbian. And she said, because of that, they would not let me serve. Not true. They never asked her not to serve. As a matter of fact, when Pastor Ron heard about it, he met with her, apologized for any confusion, and said, you're more, not only welcome to come back and serve, but I would like to invite you to come to church, and I'd love to have you sit right up front with my wife and I. You're not only welcome to serve, you're welcome to be a part of our, our body here. But she wanted nothing to do with that. She wanted to, it went out on Facebook, it got picked up by Newsweek, it went all across the country, all, all because of a lie. And the, the, the fear that set out initially was that, okay, we're gonna have to chase this down, we're gonna have to do this, we're gonna have to watch Facebook, we're gonna have to do this, and bottom, we were there, Christina and I were there, and we just prayed with Ron and Yanni that night, and we just said, Lord, you're gonna have to take care of this. This is way bigger than that, and you know God is faithful, and he does, and the ministry is thriving down there, and, but it's out there, it's real, and the fear is real. I'm not gonna tell you it's not real, that the fear is there, but I love how Nehemiah dealt with this. He said, Lord, first of all, it's not true. Send it back. Pray, trust the Lord, and get back to work. When I, verse 10, when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mahatabel, he was confined at a home, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin 
so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Again, trying to get in, at any angle that he could to get him to compromise, to do, to do something. But again, a man of honor, a man of the Lord, a man who trusted God. And again, he prays, remember, oh my God, Tobias, Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets for who were trying to frighten me. Again, Lord, you deal with it. You take care of it. I love verse 15, as I mentioned. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. But I like the fact, again, not only it was completed in 52 days, verse 15 starts with the word so. So, in spite of all of the attacks, in spite of the internal problems, in spite of everything else, because Nehemiah was such a godly man, godly leader, kept on following after the Lord, kept on entrusting the Lord, kept on praying all the way through, kept his mind focused on the work that needed to be done. Because of that, 52 days. The wall's done, the gates are hung. Amazing. I don't know if there's a direct correlation. You can see if there is as you study it out on your own. But remember, how long did he pray before the work started? Four months. And the impossible job got done in 52 days. I don't know if there's, I don't think there's necessarily a math equation there, but I do think it's telling us, guys, <laughs> the bigger the job, the more we need to pray. I don't, Martin Luther, I think, was the one who was quoted. He said, um, I pray three hours every morning, except on really busy days, then I pray four. But Verse 16, when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. There's no other way it could have been done. And that's what, again, I love it as we stay focused and we keep moving forward and, and we don't get caught up in the things that the world does and, and we love one another and we keep getting back to it and we keep praying and, and the impossible gets done. God gets the glory. We don't, it doesn't necessarily say that the nations then came and followed after God. We're going to see, again, the, you think the enemy would, is going to stop coming? No. But they all know. They all know God gets the glory. Nehemiah doesn't get the glory. God gets the glory. That this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letter came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, son of Johanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Again, the work gets done, but the enemy doesn't stop. And here we even see those that are, you know, the ones that are supposed to be closest to him, the nobles in Judah. These weren't just, these were the leaders. These were the ones alongside. These were ones that we saw back in, in an earlier chapter, in chapter four, the ones that were working alongside, or chapter three, working alongside, doing those types of things. And they are working with the enemy, conspiring with the enemy, writing letters back and forth, talking back and forth. And I'm sure you guys have been there where those are, those are some of the, the hardest ones, the, the hurts that hurt the most when it's somebody that's really close to you, the ones that you maybe been in ministry with together and serving together and doing those types of things that, that then all of a sudden go, go off and, and say things and stab you in the back or whatever. And that, that hurt. But again, God is faithful. God is there. And the work goes on and the work gets done. And I think it's even in, in those times, though Nehemiah doesn't mention it here, it's in those times when those that, that stick close and stay close mean even, mean even more. I mean, I, I'm so blessed by the, the men and women that God has raised up here at the church in leadership and, and just continuing on with the work day after day, week after week, year after year, and just keep, keep pressing on and keep moving forward. Because I got to tell you, God's not done. God's got more work for us to do. And I believe, because we're praying for it. So I believe that 
that God is gonna answer that. I, we have spent, as a church and as leaders, years, if you're part of our encounter night, it's a continual theme. God, use us. You put us right on this corner for a reason. It's not an accident. I mean, the story how we got this place and the story how all of these different things, it, it's, it's by God's hand. God's hand is on us, but because of that, the enemy's hand is against us. And I know, I'm excited about these new places that God is leading us. He's taking us into new places. He's taking us into uncharted waters. And because of that, we need, to, we need to work together. We need to come alongside each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to know the enemy's gonna be coming. We need to expect it. You know, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, you know, with, with those types of things. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you as though some strange thing were happening. We should know. We should be expecting it. Hey, we've been waiting for you. But banded together and we keep focused on the, on the work that God has for us. I can't, I can't wait to see what's next. And the impossible things being done in an impossible time. And... I'm so thankful, so thankful for so many of you and so love the fact that God is, has got us here where he has us for such a time as this and for, for where, he, where we're going. So let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for Nehemiah. Thank you for the, the amazing example of who he is, a light in a dark time, a leader who, who wouldn't let all of these other things get in the way, kept focused on you. Lord, you've called us all to that. Called us all to be a part of a, of a work far greater than ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the amazing opportunities that you've given to us to be your hands, your feet. Lord, we, we embrace your word that you give us as true. Everything in here is true. So when we do that, we understand that, that you have laid out for us the path before us, and we are simply called to walk in obedience. Filled with your spirit, empowered by you, Lord, to walk in obedience, the path that you've placed before us. And Lord, I'm so excited for all of us who you've brought together here from so many different, so many different backgrounds, so many different talents, so many different gifts. And as we saw before, <laughs> very few wall builders professionally. But Lord, you use us. And when we simply use the talents and gifts that you, that you give us, the impossible takes place and then you get all the glory. Lord, I pray for unity. Pray, Lord, that if there's anything right now, anyone here that has something against the brother or sister in the body, that there's been disunity, Lord, would you, would you work in, a, in your loving way as only, as only you can, convicting convicting those who need that. And if that is you, go make it right. Go make it right. Lord, use us for greater things, things that we can't even imagine for your kingdom purposes, for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.